So this is another description of the conference. The Jewish people and the American people do not enjoy the law for the sweets between us and the purpose of worship, even calling that in the front end to Hence, when Jesus spoke to his American woman, she was taken aback. But this was not what I had caused her shame. It was the fact that she had been living under strength and in bondage. And Jesus had come to establish her. Today, Jesus also comes to offer his possession. So now we're reading that in this session. Um, 10, 12 verses. Just said to her, 
our story when it was worshipped on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. You can worship what you can understand. He worship what you can understand. Your salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming, and it's now here. The true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit. That's true. And indeed, the Father seeks to worship him. God's spirit. Those worship him, those worship his spirit is The woman who says, I know that Messiah has come. The one who wants to be anointed. When he comes, he is also He just said to her, I am he. The one who is speaking. Okay, let's let's dive into the Word of God and we'll answer some of your questions. And last week, why why call your husband? Right. So, so Jesus said to her, "Go and call your husband." And you may be wondering, you know, why? You know, Jesus was he was asking her for some water, and then Jesus says, well, "Go and call your husband." There's there 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 is no connection. Seemingly, right? But if we remember last week, we talked about not not last week, two or three weeks ago, that Jesus was talking about the living water, the waters that that will give her eternal life. And there's a condition: we have to accept it, we want to want it, and it requires a change, a repentance, a turning around, a conversion. And the first thing that our Lord must make her realize is her current situation. If she wants the living water, something must change. And that is why. Right? Our Lord is asking, is, is trying to awaken her from her senses. You know, what are you doing here at noon? You're by yourself drawing water. Where are your friends? Where are you? Where is your family? Why are you alone? Right? And Jesus, our Lord, he, he is trying to prompt within her a response. It's noon. And that's why John gives us those details. It's at noon. It's very important to realize the, the oddity of, of what's happening. Right? And the woman said, answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. So some church fathers say that um, um, she's, this is her little confession. You're right. You know, I, I don't have a husband. You know, I think sometimes, maybe it's just me when I was younger, maybe even still now, when I go to confession, <laughs> sometimes there's maybe that one or two things that you don't want to say because you don't want the priest to judge you. You don't want a priest to scold you or yell at you. And so you, you, you say everything else, and maybe sometimes you forget. You forget to say one or two things. 
you know, that's a sin in itself. That's the sin of omission, right? You're you're not being honest with the Lord. And so, and so I see this as, you know, yes, I agree that it's 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 a confession, but it's not the full confession. So our word continues, right? And and this is just my is the same slides, but I have a few notes as I had this because you're, you're wondering why. Um, Jesus answered her, saying, You are right in saying I do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. You have said is true. You know, sometimes I think, and I think we can see this in our own experience. Maybe growing up as kids, or um, even maybe in a workplace. Sometimes when we make mistakes, we we don't want to bring it up. Maybe kids, you can tell me. Sometimes maybe let's say you broke something at home. You broke a ball or a glass, and um, and you know, and let's say mom comes home confronts you. You know what are you doing? You broke a glass, and then your dad comes home later, and, and your mom probably told your dad. So when you see your dad. You don't really want to bring up, oh, by the way, you know, I broke glass because it's it's like, you know, you want to bring it up again. And so parents, sometimes they do it for you. And our Lord, in the same way, is doing that for the woman. The woman is in a place where she's so embarrassed and ashamed that she doesn't, she doesn't even want to share with anyone and, and don't forget, this back then, men and women don't talk, especially by themselves. And so, and so she must have been very ashamed. Although in her mind, she, he didn't know that um, anything else was going on, which we'll see, right? That, but our Lord saw her heart. And he said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. They didn't work, or maybe they have died. And the one you have now, the one who you're with now, is not your husband. She was committing adultery. And the church father has this to say. Understand, now this is from St. Augustine. He says, understand that the woman did not have a, hus a lawful husband, but rather formed an illicit or irregular union with someone who was not her husband. She was, now somebody say, well, wait a second. What's wrong with that? If she doesn't have a husband, what's wrong with her having someone else? People do that, right? Right? They, they date. But this wasn't just dating, right? They were living in sin. They were doing things. They were acting and living as if they were married, but they're not. And St. Cyril tells us this. For it is not the union of pleasure, but the approval of the law and the bond of pure love that makes marriage blameless. Just because people do things together as if they were married does not mean they are married, right? Maybe sometimes, maybe we know some people in our lives, you know, I can't even think of in my family, maybe they're together for 10 years, but they're not married. It's still not proper for them to live together, right? Or have children because they're not married. So, that's what St. Cyril was trying to say here. It's not the union that they form in their minds that makes it a marriage, but what is pleasing to the law and to the law here is not the law of Philadelphia or the law, but the law of God, right? Law of God. And the bond of pure love, which is now we know is the Trinity. That is why as Catholics, it is so important for us to be married in the church, for it to be sacramental. 
because just you know if if i had a girlfriend and we went down to city hall we got married oh yeah it's wonderful i can have a party but it's not a sacramental marriage that marriage hasn't been blessed that marriage isn't rooted in the love of god right is rooted in what we want and sometimes it's, it's even done I'm not sure if anyone has has witnessed, maybe you've been a witness in one of these marriages in City Hall. You know, you just sign a paper, you know, I'm a witness. It seems very transactional. It seems very, very, um, um, what's that word? Very legit legit and not um, warm, right? But now we think about a church wedding, a marriage that is being blessed within the church, there's a procession, right? People on both sides of the aisle are, are watching as you come up to, for the bride, come up to meet your groom. And together they profess their love for each other that is rooted in God's love to everyone, right? Not going, they met People who are getting married, they meet at the well, not at noon, not by themselves, but with the congregation. So that's why marriage is so important, because it's not just what, but it's just between us. This is my marriage. Okay, there's a point to that. But your marriage doesn't just affect you guys. If you have children, it affects your children. It affects your parents, it affects your friends, your community, right? It's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's a community. That's why weddings usually take place, um, not usually, either within a ceremony or a mass with, 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 with other people, right? And so, now this next line, I really think, I really, um, I found great peace and joy coming to that realization in both my study of the passage and also in prayer, that the woman went to the well to meet her sixth husband. Her sixth and final husband, our Lord. She, remember last week, I mean, last time we mentioned that she symbolized what? The church. Right? The Gentiles, the church. And the church is also known as the what? The bride of Christ. And Jesus is our bridegroom. So the woman unknowingly went on that day, that noon, went to the well to meet her husband. The husband that will love her, that will provide for her, that would even die for her and will rise on the last on, on the third day and save her from her sins. Isn't that isn't that a pretty amazing to see that? Yes. That our Lord and notice our Lord was there first, right? He was there first. And then the woman came. Isn't that how um, weddings work? The groom waits at the altar, at the well. And the woman comes to meet her husband. This, this is, um, it's a wedding. Wedding between our Lord and his bride, the church. The next line reads, the, the woman said to him, sir, I can see that you are a prophet, right? He said, oh, you know about my past. She is, she's not thinking, oh, well, no one could have told you because you're a Jew. And I live with Samaritan, so you wouldn't have known that. So maybe you're a prophet. And seeing John Chrysostom says something interesting. He said that the woman here is... She's no longer concerned about 
water. Because she realizes there's something more she wants to learn. She wants to know who this person is and what he has to say. And then she says, our ancestors worship on this mountain. But you people say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. We still see a divide. She's still painting the picture between the Jews and the Samaritans. Remember, the, 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 the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim, right? And the Jews said that the place of worship is, is in Jerusalem, the temple. So she's confused. She's saying, well, then, you know, so what should I do? Who, who, which prophet are you? Right? And for her, her father, her church father, is also Abraham. And this mountain, um, according to tradition, is the same mountain. So Mount Gerizim, the mountain, is the same mountain where Abraham offered Isaac. That's why they saw it as a place of sacrifice, the place of worship, the place that is holy. And to support this, we have in Deuteronomy chapter 27, says this. One second. This is what Deuteronomy 27 verse 11 says. Once I find it. Okay. Um, the same day Moses commanded the people saying when you cross the Jordan these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people and that's why the Samaritans believe that that is a place of worship because that is where God will bless his people on Mount Gerizim which is in the promised land and so that's why she was confused. And then Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you worship the Father not here on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. What? There's, there's a very subtle difference here. What's the difference? What is striking about this verse? Jesus says, you will worship the Father, not God, not the Lord, not the God of Abraham, but you will worship the Father. Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman that God is our Father. This Father is greater than your father Abraham. In fact, it was he who has made a covenant with your father Abraham. And, you know, in the other Gospels, we see that Jesus teaches the apostles to call God our Father in the prayer of our Father, which is not in John's Gospel. Um, but you see how radical this is? Never before. And there is no other religion in the world at the time or now that regards God as their Father, right? Is there? I don't think there is. There are gods of this or gods of that, but, but, but there's no God that is their Father. This is a, a uniquely Christian um, understanding that God is their father because what Jesus told them to call God their father. And so our Lord is really making her think this radical way of living, of thinking. And Jesus also continues, you people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we do understand because salvation is from the Jews. Remember, one of the things that caused the separation between the two of them was, yes, it was the exile to Assyria when, when the northern kingdom fell and, and the tribes, you know, um, and then they, they adapted practices that were different because there was no, there was no longer a temple. So, so they must have to adapt on how to worship. And so, of course, some would fall into idolatry, and, and, and 
And so our Lord is reminding her that the, how you're worshiping now isn't, you're not worshiping the Father. You're, maybe you're, you're worshiping the idea of something. You're worshiping the idea of God. But do you know who God is? And the Lord says that salvation is from the Jews. Why? Because Jesus was a Jew. He was born into a Jewish family, right? But notice, Jesus says salvation is from the Jews, not for the Jews. Meaning salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, it's for you too, a Samaritan. That salvation comes from the Jewish people, namely him. It comes through him, it comes from him, but for all, for all people. It's an invitation to faith. She's inviting, he's inviting the woman to faith, to look past your ancestors, and what they said, because what he's offering isn't a contradiction. It's a fulfillment, right? It's a fulfillment. So here, I just want to take a few minutes to talk about faith. What is faith? We often think about, oh, you know, that's my faith. You know, oh, have faith. What is faith? What is faith? And Faith is our response. It's, it's our assent. It's our yes. It's us saying yes to God. That's our faith, right? When you say, I believe, you are saying you, are, you have faith in something or in someone. And bringing it more closely to our passage, faith is our thirst. Faith is our thirst for God. That's our faith. Our faith isn't just a creed, isn't just a mass, isn't just the prayers, but our faith is our thirst. Our thirst for the living God. Our yes, or our I do, I believe. That's, that is faith. So that's the invitation that our Lord gives us today through this part of the passage is, do you believe? Do you want salvation? Do you believe that I am the one who will give you life? And that is when our Lord will continue to say, but the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship. Again, we here we see about the Father. Jesus is really hammering it in that our God is our Father. Not just a, a God from afar in heaven that you can't approach because he's you know, on a cloud or something, but he is your father. God is your father. And our Lord is sort of, it's a little interesting, you know, it, what does it mean, spirit and truth? What does it mean? You know, origin, a, a church of the father says, true worshipers worship the father in spirit and truth. And not only in the coming hour, but also in the present. And we'll get in, more into this um, later. How? Because I don't want to jump too much ahead, because I because it explains later on what the spirit and truth is. Um, but the next line tells us, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship the, in spirit and truth. So our Lord, so the church fathers are are saying in their commentaries that Jesus is here is, is making a statement that that God is not like you and me 
God, as we know it, is incorporeal like me and you unto Jesus, him, the king, right? But God is spirit. That's what God is, right? We don't, we can't feel him. We can't touch him. We can't smell him. We can't see him with our senses. God's essence is spirit. And the church fathers are saying, that's what our Lord is trying to also point out here, that, um, that, that God's not like us in the way that we, we, we sin, we fall into temptation to do this. God is purely spirit. So he can do things for us that we can't do for ourselves. And the truth we come to know that is Jesus himself, that he is a truth, right? <clears throat> okay, next. St. Ambrose says this. She learned the divine mysteries that God is spirit and is adored not in a place, but in spirit. I want, you to, I want you to just take a minute to listen to that again. She learned the divine mysteries that God is spirit and is adored not in a place, but in spirit. What is St. Ambrose telling us? God is spirit, and God is adored and praised and worshipped, not in a place, a temple, a church, but in spirit. That God dwells within us. Right? We can go to church on Sundays, but if our hearts are not open to God, what good is that? It's not. And so St. So Ambrose, even then, in the early, I think, two, three, 300s, I think, um, is reminding us that don't, don't forget the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that God is within you. That is a place where God speaks to you. That is where God comes to you. It takes your heart and your soul, your entire being, And St. Ambrose continues on a, on a different commentary. He says, what does it mean then that the Father is worshiping Christ, except that the Father is in Christ, and that the Father, it should, be, it, it should say Father, not fathers, and that and the Father speaks in Christ and abides in Christ. Therefore, the Father is worshiped both with the Son and with the Spirit, because the Trinity is worshiped. What is St. Ambrose saying here? That God is a trinity. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in the Father. You believe in the Spirit. That they are one. And we, we know this as Christians, as Catholics. We, we say in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know that there's only one God in three divine persons. Right? And so what St. Ambrose is trying to say here is, is that there's one God, the three persons. When one is glorified, so are the others. That is where St. Paul gets in, in, in his letters, right? That we are one body though many parts. If one member suffers, the whole body suffers. Where one part is glorified, the entire body is glorified. So we see here how the church is meant to be modeled after the Trinity. Okay? So now, here's a, here's a, here's a breaking point, really. It's important. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the anointed. When he comes, he will tell us everything. 
Here, I want to talk a little bit about what the Jews were expecting and what the Samaritans were expecting. Many Jews were expecting a messianic king. They thought that the, the Messiah is someone who will come and free them from Romans and free them from all other secular things and that God will establish his kingdom again here on earth like Israel. But for the Samaritans, they did not expect that. They expected a Messiah who was a prophet like Moses. Because Moses, remember, the Samaritans, their Bible was only the Pentateuch, the first five books. That's it. And so Moses in there says, there will be a prophet like myself who will come to you. That's who they're waiting for. They were waiting for this prophet, not some messianic king that will come and destroy. But we can see here, even, even the Samaritans had a better idea of who the Lord was. A prophet a spokesperson, a mouthpiece of God. And so, and the Messiah is also called the anointed. And we know that, that, that anointed is also known as Christ. Anointed means Christ. So we see here that the Samaritan woman, she sees and, you know, why? You're a prophet, but could you be that prophet? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. What is the significance? Why do you think the Samaritan woman, when, or any Samaritan, why do you think, I would say, if they heard this, they would think Jesus was the Messiah? Why do you think? I, mean, I, I want to see if you can think back to um, Exodus. Yes. Why do you think... Um, why do you think I say that I think if any Samaritan person heard this or read this, they would automatically think or presume that Jesus might be the Messiah, might be the prophet that, that they were waiting for? Any guesses? Yes. I think it's because the burning bush... Yes, tell me more. Yes, go ahead. So Moses, he says, like, who, who, what's your, who are you? And then God says, I am. That's right. In the Hebrew, right? Yahweh is I am who am. God revealed to, the, for the first time in humanity, to, to humanity, his name. I am. Right? Meaning, I, I am, I am being, I am life, I am existence itself. And Jesus is here saying, I am. I am. And what happens next, we'll get into next week. But before we end, I want to talk a little bit more about this. I am he, the one who is speaking with you. Very good to think back on the burning bush because that is exactly what, what, there's, what this reference is, is referring to is um, we, we, we call this God's self of revelation to Moses. saying that I am who I am. And so, but what happens? Who remembers what happens when Jesus says the same thing in the temple, what happens? 
Did they say, oh my, you, you are, you are God, you are the Messiah. No, they say, you are blaspheming. Think about that. The Samaritan woman was open to the Lord. But the Jews, with the fullness, I mean, not the fullness, with all the scriptures, could not recognize that the Lord was the one. So just because we know a lot about our faith, a lot about God, does not mean we know him. And to, for us to have deep faith, we need to know him. We need to know God, not know a lot about him. Sure, that's good. But do you have a friendship with him? Right? You know, I, you know, I can know a lot about um, um, who's so unpopular nowadays. Um, Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. <laughs> I can know a lot about him. I can look on his, on the wiki, uh, what's it called? The uh, Wikipedia page and know, I, I can know all of his songs, all of his things. But do I really know him? If, if, if I saw him on the streets, I said, oh, Justin Bieber, I know you. And give him a hug. What, what would happen, do you think? Because bodyguards were probably pushing me aside because I don't, I don't know him. I know a lot about him. And brothers and sisters, I dare say, too, if we spend our entire Christian lives just knowing about God, when we get to heaven, and our Lord said this too. He might say, I do not know who you are. Remember? Remember, there are many parables that our Lord gave in the Gospels that says, you know, people are knocking, right? And Jesus, you know, and, and say, Lord, Lord, open the door. He says, I don't know who you are. So we can't just know about, we just, we, we can't just read the Bible, know many verses, but not have a friendship, not have a one-on-one -on -one personal encounter, relationship with God. Because that is, at the end of the day, that is what matters. And the sacraments helps us draw ourselves into deeper and deeper in love with God so that we might come to know him. Right. And so I want to close with just um, so this is the last slide until next time. But um, I want to take a journey real quick. In the beginning, the woman, how does he how does she address Jesus? Do you remember? Sir, right? Or even before that, um, there you go. Let's take a look. <laughs> Ready? He says, um, how can you a Jew? She calls him a Jew. How can you, a Jew, talk with me, right? And then it's sir. Sir, give me this water, right? Sir, Lord, give me this water. And then she thinks, what? What does, Jesus, what does she think Jesus is? It's a prophet. And then Messiah. The story, and, and by story, I don't mean fictional. That's just what we call passages in the Bible is a story, but it's, it's real. What the story of the woman at the well shows us is a life of conversion. 
the life of every of every believer. We go from not knowing, not believing, to getting to know, to getting to know about, to getting to know, and coming to profess. Yes, I believe. And so the woman's story really here is really a story about what conversion looks like. We go from looking for water to satisfy our, our physical thirst. I, I, I think it's just the wind, is it? Or, 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 someone. If someone out there, let me see this. Is. You okay? Is someone here? It's the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Spirit and truth. Just come on us. But, um, and so, what was it talking about? What was the last thing I, I said? I don't remember what you said. Um, it's, it's, oh, yes, yes, yes. Exactly. So she, so that's how our conversion is too, right? We, we, we come People mostly come to God when they need something. Oh, I have to pray, you know, God, if you help me, I will blah, 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 right? They start with, they start with a physical need. And then they move from that physical need to the spiritual need. And that's the same for us Christians too. Yes, of course, God wants us to have the things that we need, right? That's why the Eucharist is both, we see it as bread, but we know it as the body of Christ, both our physical and our spiritual need. So my, my, my brothers and sisters, in the beginning of this conference, I had said that our Lord has come to set this woman free from her bondage. She was afraid to go to the well in the morning, maybe, maybe because the, her friends rejected her because she was an adulterer. Oh, I don't want, I don't want to, to associate myself with you, right? I don't want people to see me with you. Then they'll think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm accepting this, but, but I'm not. Maybe that's one reason. Or she could be really embarrassed and she don't want to be seen. Brothers and sisters, that's not living. That's not life. She is just trying to survive. And Jesus came to give us not survival, but life and life to the full. So what are the things that keep us from living? life to the full. What are those things that weigh us down? Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's anxieties, stress, worries. What are those things? What are, what, what are those things that keep us from living fully? So in your prayer this week, as we continue with Lent, think about those things. What is it that keeps me up at night? What is it that keeps me from wanting to get closer to our Lord? What is it that is keeping me from living in joy? And always remember that Jesus is saying to you, give me a drink. And last week we said, he offers, he asks for a drink so that he may offer us a drink, right? Our Lord wants to free us from those things that keep us weighed down. The Lord says, you don't need to live like that anymore. In fact, I want you to live. I want you to live. And we see next, next week, how she went from going to the world at noon, embarrassed and ashamed, to something else. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to bring those things, those weights, those burdens 
bring it to the Lord. And if you're going to Mass tomorrow, and I hope you are, I won't be there because I'll be at the seminary. But I want you to think about those things tonight that weigh you down. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe, you know, it's a bad habit. It's a um, whatever it may be. Put them in your heart. And tomorrow, when people are bringing the gifts up, I want you to give those things over and put it on the altar. And let the Lord change them. Just as he changed the water and wine with his body and blood. Believe that he can change your sorrows into joy, your despair into hope, your death into life, and your surviving to living. He can. He wants to. The question is, will we let him? Let us pray. God, our Father, Do your son, the Samaritan woman, learn that the place to worship is neither on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. Rather, it is in spirit. It is in her heart. Teach us to make room within our own hearts for you. Teach us and give us the, the, the desire to want to know you. Let us never be satisfied with knowing things about you, but rather give us the courage to want to know you because only you can set us free from those things that weigh us down and only you can give us life, life that goes into eternity, life that is eternal. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.